Great, so we are now uh, recording. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. I won't say good afternoon because I have no idea what time it is in your time zone, but um, here is uh, today's, or one of today's social skills sessions. Um, I wish that we had time to go through each and every person on here so that I could hear um, how old your kids are or the kids that you're interested in learning about. But uh, my plan for today is to go through kind of social development from babyhood on up and um, with the hope that it will cover the things that you need to hear, would like to hear. And then I hope that we'll have time for questions at the end. So um, some kids, as you know, are real naturals at social interaction. And I suspect that if you're in this workshop, you probably have a kid or work with a kid that isn't a natural, and that's why you're here. So um, I'm going to start with babies and how babies uh, get their social skills. So for any baby, this is pretty much the same. There are a few things that we have to really be careful and watch for in our blind babies. So the key to development of social interaction is that we've got to make sure our blind babies get the same developmental experiences as any other baby. So that would mean they need exposure to sounds and movement and exploration and social interaction. Some of our kids are very highly sensitive to sound but it's really important that we get them used to it so that they can first tolerate it and then hopefully enjoy sound so that they have the full pleasure of uh, taking part in all the parts of life. If you have a child who is particularly sensitive to sound and really shuts down or something like that, um, you might want to look into sensory integration um, OT for that child. That's a whole workshop unto itself, but just mark that down if that is the kind of kid that you have or are working with. Um, so regarding sound, you want them to get used to voices, um, be okay with loud voices, uh, laughter, household sounds, um, under normal circumstances, the sounds of being at a store or a mall, things like that all different kinds of sound so that, again, they can participate in all of life without undue stress. Um, other aspects of sort of the regular developmental experiences would be movement and exploration. What we're aiming for with any child, but in particular with our blind kids, is purposeful, self-initiated movement. Our kids end up really vulnerable to being moved and being physically manipulated a lot. <laughs> and that really isn't the road to purposeful self-initiated movement. This is so important because it enables our children to be active participants in the world who has, have a sense of themselves as full human beings. So how do we draw them into the world? we really need to get them interested. If you have a baby who is totally blind, um, sound. 
for all babies, though, sound is very, very attractive. So you can play games with sounds and get them moving with sounds. And if your child can't move on his or her own, you can take them in your arms and lead them to something and let their arm brush it. Maybe you have a little wind chime or something. Let their arm brush it and just sort of move them in the way so that their arm touches it and they'll hear that sound. And then maybe if they enjoy the sound or look interested in it, you do it again until maybe they'll do it on their own and you start to getting purposeful and um, self-initiated movement. There's a whole uh, segment called Active Learning created by Lily Nielsen. And again, that's a whole workshop unto itself too. But if you have a child or working with a child who is not really moving on his or her own and you want to develop active, self-initiated, purposeful movement, look up the work of Lily Nielsen it's called active learning. Um, so when your child is moving in the world, he or she is exploring. And what does exploring mean to a baby? It means discovering what's out there. You run into something. What the heck is that? Once you see that it's there, then you say, what is it? And then you say, what can I do with it? Or what can it do? And if you watch a baby, you'll see them being bombed by my husband here. <laughs> um, you'll see them, like a baby will touch a uh, block, let's say, and they'll turn that block over. Now, the fully sighted baby might look at the one side of the block and they turn it over and they look at the other side and they turn it over. We want to have that same kind of exploration going with our blind children. Sometimes with some of our kids, they're they're developmentally stuck and they really need intervention. I had one of those. She was very, very, very delayed, needed a lot of assistance and intervention to get her interested in the world. So, you know, at first we bring, to, bring the world to them so that they can, uh, we want to spark their interest. And then hopefully as their motor skills develop, they go out and explore them themselves. So, if they, if they encounter objects in the world, that leads to the discovery and the action. They're gonna do something. Well, guess what? Discovery and action, doing something with that thing they ran into, that's called play. And that's the child's job. And every child does that. And again, if our kids need some special <laughs> nudging to do that, be sure to give it to them. Um, Movement and exploration also helps our kids find out not only what is in the world, but who is in the world. So in your own home, you can play games like um, find mommy or find daddy or find grandma or find Fido. And maybe the dog is, I don't know, panting or a cat is uh, licking her paws or something. So you can have the child listen for that sound and, oh, let's go over and find kitty or find Fido. Um, you can play games yourself. Maybe you go sit down on the sofa and you make some kind of silly noise and the child thinks that's funny and so they come and find you. Um, this is all part of the development of social interaction. Most babies develop their first social interactions with their families. Um, social action interaction is another key to having social skills later in life. Um, they even say that the, the people who make it biggest and most successfully at work 
are not so much the smartest, but the people who have the best social interaction skills. So it really is important for life. Um, social interaction is the impetus for language development. Uh, language means communication. Uh, language means the child starts to be able to get their emotions under control because they're able to say things instead of just cry or react. Um, language leads to um, the beginning of their knowledge base because we'll name things for them and we'll name actions for them and they start accumulating the knowledge that turns them into eventually just regular people who know about the world uh, appropriate for their age. Um, this all, of course, leads to next after interaction with your own family and close friends, interaction with others. And those others uh, eventually will be adults or uh, learning in school and also, of course, other kids. So play with other kids is very different from the developmental play of exploration and discovery that a child is first doing. Um, so when they're first doing play by themselves, hopefully that's moving along or with your intervention if it's not, you should watch for overly repetitive movement. All kids repeat things because that's how they learn. Any child who learns, uh, let's say a sighted baby learns about the light switch. Well, they will want to switch that light on and off a hundred times a day for two weeks, and then they're done with that. They've gotten everything they need out of that, and they're on to the next thing. That's normally repetitive. What you want to be on the lookout for is um, play where the child is just sort of doing a rote, Thing again and again and again and again and they're not really getting any learning out of it. Um, if anybody wants further information on how to tell the difference, let's talk about it afterwards um, or you can always email me and uh, we can discuss that. But there is definitely a difference between the appropriate repetitive play and overly repetitive where we it's a signal that our child isn't interacting enough with the world and will need some intervention. Um, sometimes it, when you're intervening, you can just give the child something better to do. Um, distract them, change the subject, basically. Um, when the child becomes a toddler, playing with others uh, becomes the important social thing. And all, again, all the regular stuff that any child needs is appropriate and important to the blind child. So that might be sharing and taking turns, uh, enjoying another child's company. Um, unstructured play at first, you've probably heard the term, um, I'm blanking on it, side by side, when the child parallel play, when the two children are not really playing with each other, they're playing next to each other. That's more unstructured. And then later, as the kids develop, play becomes much more structured. And uh, there, be, uh, there were suddenly rules and regulations to play. So you want, we're, we're trying to develop in our children ways to handle all these normal developmental steps, especially if our children are stuck somewhere. So um, if your child does something repetitive like they like to play with matchbox cars, 
but what they do with them is turn them upside down and run their hands across the wheels repetitively. Well, that would be okay for them to enjoy that for a little while, but what you also should do is teach them the standard way to play with a little car too. Teach them how to run it along the floor, teach them how to shoot it so it hits the wall. Um, so that when they're having parallel play and later real interplay with other children, they'll know how to behave, they'll be accepted. Um, they still might really like turning it over and spinning the wheels better, but for their own development, it's necessary to make sure that they have the flexibility to play with others. Um, children sometimes, well, I would say probably most children, uh, one of the things they learn when they're playing with other kids for the first times is how to react when they get annoyed. Another child will often do something that the, your child might hate. And initially they might push them, they might yell at them, they might cry, something like that. So children have to get used to that and they have to understand what that is and all children have to get used to this. What they also have to get used to is what might happen if they are the annoying ones. What if they keep taking the toy or smashing the building that just got built or whatever it might be. So we need to let our children understand all of the social interaction consequences too. Um, some of our kids need to learn how to tell if you've annoyed somebody. Some of them are, you know, kind of uh, oblivious and we have to bring their awareness and their attention to the social interaction so that they understand what happened, understand what's going on, and really they begin to understand the consequences of what, what their actions are. Ah, so if I take a, a truck right out of the other kid's hand, that's gonna annoy that child. Now, of course, that's all the beginning of uh, empathy too, and understanding how other people feel. Um, as the child gets a little bit older, they start with pretend play, imaginative play. Sometimes this is uh, difficult for kids with disabilities in general. And um, it was certainly difficult for my blind child when she was little. She was very, very concrete and just didn't have that sense of pretend. So one of the things uh, you can do to develop this, if your child is not able to pretend yet and you feel like the time you know, is, is here that they should be able to do that, is you can do things that are very directly related to the child. The very first pretend play came by accident in our house. We were on the, in the living room on the floor. Um, I think both my kids were lying on the floor and I came in and I pretended to sit down on them. And I said, oh, here's a nice comfortable sofa. I'm gonna sit down on it. And they just started giggling and laughing. No, 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 I'm not a sofa, I'm not a sofa. And lo and behold, that was Serena's first ability to pretend anything. Then I was the sofa and they sat on me. And then, you know, you can play in a box and that could be the bathtub and you could pretend to take a bath or um, you could pretend to be an animal family and you'd be the mommy animal or the daddy animal and they could be the babies, the kittens, the puppies, whatever it might be. So you can nudge the child, you can introduce this idea of imagining and pretending 
to the child and then you can help the child recognize it when they're older if, if someone says let's play house or let's play school or something like that you can help the child oh that's pretending and you you know how to do that um one of the things that's important to our kids is recognizing when they've been invited to play Sometimes, I don't mean a, an invitation from a parent or to set up a play date. I mean, when another kid has made the kind of uh, approach that kids make, and it's different at different ages, but your child might not recognize that this has been an invitation to play. So that's something you can be on the lookout for and point it out to your child. And again, that'll expand their ability to understand what the heck's happening out in the world. Um, as the, and, and you want to teach them how to respond to that invitation. Um, as our kids get older, we want them to learn what I'm going to say regular kid behavior is like. Again, I, I know a lot of this. I learned a lot of this through personal experience. My daughter lived the first almost eight months of her life in a hospital. Her, most of her interactions when she first got home, the next like three years were with doctors and therapists and adults. And um, I think some of our kids miss out on the years when other children are really developing these regular uh, abilities. So you might need to give them some extra help in uh, learning how to be a kid. So I think exposing them to children, let them hear the sounds of children's laughter um uh pointed out to them if if they're not aware that that's the sound of children's laughter um listen for the tones of how they speak the vocabulary they speak in what words do they use um and then later on what what does that joke mean what is a joke um what's that tv show they were talking about what's that movie video or or a music video they were talking about so we want them to be again able to understand the scene what's happening and be able to respond to it appropriately um, we are preparing our kids for so many situations in life and i'm just going to read this list of typical things that occur in a child's life uh, that involve social skills like visiting another child's home playing in the park walking in a line um, lunchtime conversation, uh, games, playground equipment, team games, board games, going to a party, shopping, um, joining into a group. So there, there are so many uh, situations in life. And if you think about the various situations, you can probably pinpoint, ah, I don't think she's ever had that experience. Let me make sure she gets that experience. Or, wow, the last time we tried that, there was a meltdown, we're gonna work on that. So you can really just take a look at your own lives and see the areas that where your child might need a little extra help or guidance. Um, one of the ways to develop social skill success is to work on developing your child's personality. A lot goes into personality, right? And I know some of the things we're probably born with and some of the things we learn, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but here are just some ideas on how you can 
assist your child with that. If your child isn't lucky enough to be just born with one of those great personalities where they charm the whole world. So expand their world, go places. Um, you know, that would be the usual preschool places, the farm, the park, the police department, the fire department, the post office, you know, I'm assuming life gets back to normal. We don't have to worry about COVID anymore and you can go everywhere you want <laughs> safely. Um, but, you know, ex uh, make sure they've been places so they understand more of the world. They have a better, a, a bigger knowledge base and they have more things to talk about. Um, you want to expose them to jokes and uh, TV and movies and music. Uh, obviously, whatever is within the parameters of your own family's values. Um, but all of this gives the kids to uh, things to talk about. And you don't want them to only be able to talk about one subject. That is not good for your social skills. Um, during this whole time, you, you will be helping your child develop what is called social awareness. So I've been talking about figuring out what's going on. In social interactions, it's important to figure out what the person meant by what they said and um, how to respond to it. Sometimes this is called understanding someone else's state of mind. And I would say most parents think of it as teaching the child how the other person might feel. And so it's really important for us to be able to uh, catch those social cues. What does it mean? What is the person's tone of voice? What does that mean about how, might, how they might be feeling? Well, they said this. What do you think? What does that actually mean? What do you think they're thinking? So we can help our children tune in to all this. And the more you tune in, the more you're able to understand other people. And the more you're able to understand other people, the better your social action interaction will be with them. Um, we want our kids to be flexible. Flexibility is really important in social skills because when they're little, it might be, I don't want to play that game. I want to play this game. And our kids know, need to know how to go along to get along under appropriate circumstances. We don't want them doing it when it comes to the illicit drugs when they're teenagers, but you want them to know how to do it when they're six and somebody, one kid wants to play house, the other kid wants to play school, you know. So we just want them to have appropriate flexibility. I think they also need an awareness of what I call social conventions. Like what are the rules generally of society? And what does it mean if you break those rules? Um, for example, most of us uh, teach our kids if they burp in public to say, excuse me. So uh, funny as little kids think burping might be, um, that's a social rule. And if you break that rule in certain uh, situations, there'll be a consequence for it. Like if you are at a, uh, an interview with a potential future boss and you burp, I mean, and don't say, excuse me, that's, you're probably not gonna get the job. So there are real consequences to social rules. And I'm not saying every kid has to follow every rule, but I am saying every kid should be knowledgeable of what the rules are and knowledgeable of what the consequences might be if they choose to break them. 
I think that's fair enough. And again, all of this takes into account your own family's values, the values of the region of the country you live in, et cetera. But what we're aiming for is a, is a really aware child who can figure stuff out. Um, some of the conversation skills, again, are really social convention. So we face each other when we speak. For a blind kid, maybe my child used to completely turn around and she'd be the opposite. She'd set herself up completely facing away. And I finally realized that was because she was always in somebody's lap with us you know, teaching her or playing with her in front of her body. And she was used to hearing our voices from behind. And I was like, whoa, we've got to remedy that. We have to get her used to facing somebody when she's talking. Because it's really important out there in the sighted world. Um, our kids need to learn how to take turns in conversation, to use an appropriate volume of voice, not too loud, not too quiet. Appropriate tone of voice. Tone, uh, many of our kids uh, end up being very sensitive to tone and very good at reading tone. But if you don't have a kid who's good at that, try to develop that again with saying, well, what might, that, might, what might Johnny have meant when he said, give me that in that kind of tone, as opposed to give me that, please. You know, so again, we want our children to develop the awareness so that they can respond appropriately. Um, they need to learn the appropriate amount of time they should talk in any one turn. And I once heard someone say that should be the amount of braille that would fit on a small index card. And I thought that was really helpful. And I think that's probably helpful for sighted people as well. Um, don't talk too much, give other people a turn. Um, timing of comments, we want to teach them how to figure out when somebody is done and how not to let there be a long gap that would maybe make the person think you're uninterested. Um, teach them about personal space. Um, I read once that if you stand with your arms straight at your sides and then bend your arms at the elbow so that your hands are sticking out in front of you, if you can touch the other person, you're too close. So that's a pretty simple physical way to teach, again, any kid, that's too close or that's appropriate. Obviously, again, in times when we have to stay six feet away from each other, that's different, but we'll, we'll talk about under normal circumstances. Um, teach them postures that are just regular postures that kids use. Um, some of our kids get very, like they are always symmetrical, two feet on the floor, uh, straight ahead, and we want them to be able to turn their heads and turn their torsos and lean, maybe put their elbow on the table, maybe put their uh, face on their hand so that they can lean and just look casual. We want them to know all the casual behaviors, teach them how to cross their arms, how to stand with one foot crossed over the other, and maybe um, a knee bent and a, and a hip jutting out. Just um, teach them how to lean against the wall. So teach them things so that they'll look comfortable and um, relaxed. In a chair, you could teach them when the teacher moves around the room, the most of the kids don't fully turn their bodies the whole way. They will turn, they'll sit side saddle on the chair, maybe they'll put their arm over the back of the chair. 
So you can teach them all of these positions, behaviors, positions, uh, uh, postures, so that they just fit in and they look like everyone else and they look um, informal and approachable. Um, if they have developed mannerisms that I'll say are not socially acceptable, you want to try to extinguish those as early as possible. Often you can just give the kids something better to do, or you could have a secret signal. Um, in my family, we used a snap. It was hearable, nobody else would notice it, and it would signal Serena in her case, we were signaling her to sit up straight because she had a tendency to have her head bent down. Um, you don't want to like necessarily bring the attention of the world to this mannerism. You don't want to embarrass the child in any way. You just want to encourage the better posture or the, you know, the hand out of the eye or whatever it might be. Uh, when you're talking to your kids about what to say in conversation, in play, whatever. I came up with the phrase, be interested and interesting. We show our interest in somebody else's, um, what they're saying to us by nodding, by saying, uh-huh, mm, maybe by asking a question that furthers the conversation. And we are interesting to others when we hear their responses and their, their positive responses. Again, they further the conversation. You can teach your children how to be aware of what effect they're having on others in conversation too. A lot of people will just, you know, let our kids get away with talking maybe about their technology for hours and hours. Well, adults might do that, loving adults, but other kids won't. And we want our kids to be, have, have the flexibility to be in conversation. Okay, so how do we um, develop all this? Talk about it, teach it, coach it, model it, role play it. Some of our kids really do need practice. Anybody who wants further information or discuss this further, please feel free to contact me. I'd be happy to talk about it. I'm going to close with the idea of uh, when the kids get older. Now, all of this social development we hope has been happening and when they get to be pre-adolescents and teenagers we want them to have all of the skills in life like academic skills independent mobility skills uh, the tech skills they need um, to handle themselves now what does this have to do with social interaction well a child who can walk through the high school and you know get to their locker and get their stuff and know what the homework is and get their work done well they're going to have the respect of others they're going to have self-respect and they're going to have the respect of their peers and of the teachers and all of that is involved in the social interaction they'll be competent they'll look confident and we all know what it looks like when you're confident it looks good um, when they're teens, we want them to now start really developing a sense of responsibility. We want them to take the initiative and to show self-motivation. And what might the initiative be? Well, maybe their job is they take the garbage out when it's full. Well, instead of 
hours saying to them, take the garbage out, it looks full, or check the garbage, and then they check it and they say it's full and they take it out. We want them to remember to do it. And that's a really different thing. That's a sense of responsibility. So build in things to practice that. They can set a timer on their phones. Eight o'clock, it's after dinner, I check the garbage. If it's full, I take it out. Let them set their own alarm clocks to get up in the morning. Let them, uh, when the, they need laundry, let them at first tell you they need their laundry done, but then teach them, let them do their laundry so that they have the self-initiative. Um, we want them to show some leadership, even at home. Now, how might that look? Well, maybe they're gonna notice something that needs to be done. And then maybe they're gonna give you an idea on how they could fix this problem. We want them to have time management skills. Um, again, practice for that. Maybe they're gonna go away to college. You want them to be able to get up and get to class and get to meals and get their work done. It's all involved with time management, organizing their day, prioritizing what has to be done. Self-awareness. I am really good at uh, organizing this, but I'm a procrastinator. I put it on the, on the paper, I write it down, and then I don't do it. So they need to know themselves and know what their strengths are, know what they need, and know what their weaknesses are so that they can work on them. Um, this all might be strange to be talking about in social awareness, but uh, social skills. But any of you who have uh, gotten a job, you've probably heard these referred to as soft skills of job, uh, being successful on the job. So we really want our teenagers to be moving towards success on a job. We want them to get a job and be able to keep a job. Um, so we want them to grow up with a problem-solving approach to life. Everybody's got challenges. You can be sure your kids are gonna have them. So let your kids look at a challenge and then instead of telling them how to solve it, which we do for most of their lives, you start stepping back and say, well, what would be a good way uh, that you can think of that we could solve this and get them thinking about it? Um, we want them to feel powerful. Yes, empowered. I can solve this problem, hmm, but I don't know how. So now we teach them to use their blindness network. First, they got to find out they have one and they got to use it. Who is their blindness network? Well, it's all of us in the National Federation of Blind. It's all of us in the National Organization of Parents of Blind Children. It's their TBIs. It's their rehab people who are in their lives. And um, of course, there's YouTube. You can go on the computer and find out how to do anything. How does a blind person iron? You'll find a YouTube video. How does a blind person go to the supermarket? You'll find a YouTube video. So engender this in your children. Here's my situation. Here's my problem. Here's my challenge. How can I solve this? And then you, you know, coach them along at the beginning, but soon you'll have a person who's really a self-initiator, self-motivated problem solver. And you will end up with a kid who works and plays well with others. And that's the close of my section. And I hope we have, yep, we have about 10 minutes left if there are any questions. And questions, I think you guys are, are going to raise your uh, virtual hands in Zoom. 
Um, yep. So to raise to raise your hands um, on a phone, you can use star nine. Um, if you're using a Windows keyboard, um, you can use Alt Y. And on a Mac keyboard, it's Option Y. And Carol, if you want, I can also let people unmute themselves if that would be easier. That's fine too. Okay. Let me just do that. And so if you are, when you're unmuted, if you'd like to ask a question, just say your name and then uh, say your question or your comment. My name's Tammy Baskefield. Hi, Tammy. Yes. <laughs> I had a question about, you were talking about teaching them um, how to stand, sit, look relaxed, etc. Um, I understand, you know, teaching them to face somebody when they're speaking to them, um, possibly to keep their head up, um, not pick their nose probably would be good, things of that nature, but I'm concerned about putting so much emphasis on appearing acceptable to the sighted as opposed to just being comfortable in themselves and teaching basic facing um, and and communication techniques that we would teach even a sighted child so i would say i mean that's a really good question and you have to there's a balance there's always a balance we don't want to make anybody overly self-conscious what we have to think about is the fact that there is, there will be consequences, usually unwanted consequences, if our children don't follow at least the minimum of social rules. And so you as the parent or the grandparent, you're going to be looking at the consequences. In your case, you're saying, you know, you don't want to make her so so self-conscious, you want her to accept herself. Well, well all of this, we, we do for any child. We don't do this just for blind people. This is a, not about being blind. It's about being socially interactive and getting good results when we try to be socially interactive. So if you think about the, the things that you did with your sighted children and how you guided them to follow the social rules, the rules that were important to you and your family and the school they went to, et cetera. I think you could use that as a base for how much interact, interaction and do a lot of talking. This is not, this doesn't really have anything to do with blindness. This is just social rules that everybody follows. So in essence, teaching them how to sit or lean against a wall with a hip out or all of the things that you had described are really not important so much as the social construct conversation face-to-face -face, not interrupting um, taking turns in the conversation I would agree um, with that. things of that nature I would agree with that I think there is definitely like a, a prioritization of which ones are more important than others Okay. Um, I see that Amy Phelps has her hand raised. 
so Amy, I can unmute you. Hi, Amy. Oh, oh there, there she is. Hey, Carol, how are you doing? Good, good to see you. This is such a great session and it is so important. Um, I work in an adult training center and here in Virginia, and right now we are in our summer program with transition age youth. And then of course uh, we work with adults. And I think this topic is so important. And I think we also have to think about the long view of things because we're also preparing our young people for that day when they go to work and they have, they're in a job interview. And I think that if we kind of can, can maybe think about it that way too, because that's gonna make a huge difference for our kids, especially with the, the emphasis and transition programs. You know, these kids are gonna be in high school, they're gonna be getting work experience. All of this is very important too and that's a part of the blending in because the reality is is that these kids when they go to work when they become adults and they go to work they're going to be we want them to be not just competitive but to have an edge on their competition and their competition is going to be the sighted world you know they're going to be other sight you know there's going to be sighted people and i think having this conversation now and really thinking about the long view of things is just so critical because we do work with a lot of adults that you know this is some new information for them and that's part of what we do in a training center too but i i just thank you for having this session and having this conversation well you're most welcome and i i couldn't agree more and i now work in a um a program that uh trains high school kids uh, transition program and I do the parent component and I just see it again and again and again that we we let our we let it go too often and then our kids maybe they'll get a job but they won't keep a job so we just have to it's really important to have that uh, that training in that direction and again every child needs this if you have a surly sighted teen who refuses to make eye contact, um, won't look up for their phone, won't say hello, you know, that child is also gonna have a hard time getting and keeping a job. So it's for all kids, and I was putting the particular emphasis on the places where our kids are particularly vulnerable. Other questions? Bill? Hi, Bill. How do we help kids who are really getting withdrawn or stuff from people bullying them especially in schools who no longer want to interact socially because of that and so really interferes with their ability to develop those skills that you've been talking about yeah bullying is such an awful problem so i would probably start with reading all you can about what is recommended for bullying for any child um because it's going to be similar then as far as the blindness goes, I would make sure that your child or the child you're working with has blind friends, acquaintances, role models, people that they can go to with their concerns, with their feelings, um, and who they can model themselves after. 
I also then I'll just say, you got to take an honest look at the personality issues that might be there. Um, because if we can help the child develop the skills that make them look confident and competent, maybe some of that bullying will also recede. I think that's true of any child. It's just our kids have to learn a, a somewhat expanded set of skills. I hope that's helpful. Anyone else? I think we have, like we could squeeze uh, 30 seconds in. Okay, it is 12.45 and I think we have to bring this to a close. Is that correct, Alyssa? Uh, yes, unfortunately, but thank you so much. This was great. Good. I, I hope that uh, you guys got something out of it. Let me just share my contact info. You can find me all over the internet easily, but you can send, uh, if you want to email me, carol, C-A-R-O-L, underscore, Castellano, uh, C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-O, at verizon.net. Um, feel free to call me, 973 377-0976. I'd be so happy if anybody wants to continue the conversation to continue. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. It was great. You're welcome.